1: Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 John, chapter 2 is where we are today, 1 John, chapter 2. We're getting started in a series that's actually going to take us through the three epistles that John wrote, the three letters, chapter by chapter. Today we're in chapter 2, and here's the key concept for this morning. You can know that you are the real deal in Jesus. You can know that you know talking about the assurance of salvation today. John chapter 2, while you're finding that, let me tell you about a, 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 a situation where I read about a man who was dropped from his insurance company. He had a few speeding tickets. He had a couple of fender benders, evidently. And a letter came to him one day saying that the company had decided that he was too much of a risk to continue to be covered. He had to find coverage elsewhere. I thought about that for a moment, and I thought what if heaven did that? What if heaven was like that insurance company? Imagine you're, you're living your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, and one day you get a letter. It says, Dear Sir or Madam, it has come to our attention that you've asked for forgiveness too many times. I write to inform you that you have surpassed your quota of sins. Our records indicate you've erred in the area of greed and pride and gossip above the allowable levels for a person of like age and circumstance. Furthermore, our records indicate your prayer life is substandard and your understanding of doctrine is below the 20th percentile. You appear to be a high risk candidate for heaven. Jesus sends his regrets and kindest regards and asks you to find another means of coverage. There is no other means of coverage, but if you know Christ as personal savior, I assure you, you will never get a letter like that. But Satan wants to take away your assurance. For those who belong to Christ here today, he wants to plant doubt in your mind. He wants you to wonder if you're really in. For those who don't know Christ as Savior here today, He wants to smother you with complacency and make you feel it's no big deal. And for all of us, He wants us to fall more in love with the system of the world than, in, than with God. This is the struggle. This is the battle that we are in. And the first century church was in it as well. Last week we noted that John writes this letter, First John, to counter false teaching. Uh, individuals who are now proclaiming faulty doctrine. And in chapter 2, that was in chapter 1, chapter 2, we get some insight into the way the dynamics of this played out in the church fellowship. You see, what has happened is a group of people have left the church, teaching now these false doctrines and twisting the truth, and they're seeking to call out others with them, to follow after their bad example. Now, now understand, this is not a case where people leave one Bible-believing church to go to another Bible-believing church for whatever circumstances. These people have left the faith. They no longer believe the things that they said they used to believe. And you can immediately sense the question in the minds of people. How is it that folks who for a period of time said they were saved, looked like they were saved, acted like they were saved, all of a sudden now they have abandoned the faith. What does it mean? Are they no longer saved? Is salvation forever? Can I be assured of the fact that I am in Jesus? Am I secure there? Now John has already addressed this issue in his gospel. He's not addressed it per se, but he's quoted Jesus addressing it Jesus says this in John 10, My sheep hear My voice. I know them and they follow Me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of My hand. That's a verse that gives assurance to those of us who know Christ as Savior. But what about these who have left? That's the, ans- uh, the question that's being asked in the, in the fellowship that John is writing to. He answers that question in verse 19. Go ahead and find that chapter 2 verse 19 follow along with me it says this john is answering that question he says they went out from us but they did not really belong to us for if they had belonged to us they would have remained with us but their going showed that none of them belonged to us but you have an anointing from the holy one and all of you know the truth what John says there is perfectly in line, perfectly in keeping with what Jesus said in the gospel. Nothing has changed. Nothing has been lost. No one has been lost. God is not suddenly unable to retain those who are His children. And the fact of the matter were, is that they never were. If they would were, they would not have left. You see, God's true sheep continue. To put it doctrinally, the true saint perseveres. But that again raises a question, doesn't it? These people who looked good for a while can turn out not to be the genuine article. So how do I know about myself? How do I know that I know Him? How can I be sure? In order to answer that question, we first have to ask the question, what does it mean to know Him? Go back to verse 3 of the second chapter. For that question is addressed right there. Verse 3 says this, We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys His Word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. Knowing Him is John's phrase for that experience of being in that relationship with Jesus Christ, being born again into the family of God by grace through faith. You have to understand that it is God's grace that saves you, not your performance. And your faith, in a sense, is the conduit, if you will, for God's grace to come flooding in and transform you from the inside out. That's called regeneration, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit when you turn to God in faith. And John says that when that happens, you are changed by God, not yourself. You're changed from the inside out, which means little by little, the outward behavior begins to change, change as well. And the expectation of those who have experienced that change is obedience to what God tells us. Put together verse 3 and verse 5. It says this, We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands, verse 5, but if anyone obeys His Word, God's love is truly made complete in Him. That's the key right there. Obe- obedience to the directions that God gives us in His Word is not an issue of obligation. It is not the fruit of your duty. It is rather born of love. Here's the logic. When you come to know God through faith in Jesus Christ, you come to know who the true God is and that God is love. And that love causes you to see His commands, His direction as something different, as the loving directions of a loving God. His Word gives us principles for living, but the principles for living are not burdens, They are loving principles, guidelines that come from the Father God who loves you the most, knows you the best, and wants the best for you. God is love, therefore what He tells us is loving. Obedience is the result of knowing this. But when you don't know God, you don't understand love. When you don't know God, you think love is license. You believe that the commandments of the Word of God are prison bars hemming you in because you still define happiness the way the world defines happiness and love the way the world defines love. Here's an example. Some of us here, before we came to know Christ as personal Savior, you couldn't imagine being a Christian because what you knew was that the standards of Sexual purity that God was taught in the Scripture is that sex belongs inside marriage between one man and one woman. And outside a relationship with God, you couldn't. that didn't sound like any fun at all. Because you define fun the way the world defines fun. And happiness the way the world defines happiness. Some of us here, before we came became Christians, we couldn't imagine becoming a Christian. Because we know that the Bible teaches that we're not to be drunk. And you define fun as getting high. How could God want me not to have that fun anymore? You see, what Satan sells in the world as fun is only a shadow of the pleasure that is offered in God. But he sells it as the complete package. And outside of a relationship with God, we buy it. We believe it. But John says, if you believe that lie and you live only to satisfy the flesh, it's an indication that you don't believe that God is love. And you don't hear his directions as a loving, as a loving direction. That means you don't know him. But if you knew him, you'd understand that the call to holy living is the call of love. This is John's logic. And so as we listen to that, we're meant to ask ourselves, well, what tests are there for me to see if I really have the assurance About my salvation. How do I evaluate myself against that logic? Test number one is right there in verse six. Do I walk as Jesus walked? Walk as Jesus walked. What does that mean? What can that possibly be calling us to do? Jesus was the only sinless human. Right now we're all a little bit uncomfortable. Because does that mean that I need to be in my behavior perfect in order to have assurance of my salvation? Like Jesus was perfect? If it means perfection, then none of us is saved. We are all flunking the test. In fact, every human being who have ever lived, except Jesus, has flunked the test. It couldn't possibly mean that. It would mean that the gospel is futile and pointless. But perfection in your behavior... That's not the test. I want you to remember this. God has always known all about your failures. He's known all about the failures that you've had in your past and the failures you will have in your future. He knows them all and He still loves you. You can't disappoint God enough so that He'll stop, <clears throat> stop loving you. And you can't earn His favor through your behavior. But He does have an expectation. And the expectation is once you are in the family of faith that there is a new desire in your heart and progress towards holiness. Once we're in the, the family of faith and have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, He wants us to seek to move out of the sinful lifestyle that we engage in. Not perfect, but experiencing a new tug to do better to be more a person of God, to be more found in prayer, more found in the Word, to be more desiring to be a part of what God is doing in the world, joining in for the force of good and righteousness, a growing desire that the Puritans had a name for. The Puritans called it holy affection. Grow in your holy affection. When I do that, I'm no longer satisfied with the pathway of darkness that I used to live. I'm no longer satisfied. I don't really define fun or love the way the world does anymore. I have new definitions and a new direction. More and more like Jesus. Desiring and progressing to walk as Jesus walked. But if none of that is true of me, if there is no difference in my life and the way I live, if there is no interest in spiritual things, if there is total apathy towards the things that God is doing in the world, and I still define my fun and my love the way the world defines it, you are right to question yourself. Because the worst thing that could possibly happen is that you are falsely secure. That Somehow we place our security on a religious system. I go in and out, I do my duty, that's that. That will never secure you. It is about a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith and progressing more and more to be like Him and desiring Him. Test number two. Am I more in love with God than the things of the world? Look at verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Understand that John is using the word world to describe the system, if you will, The organization, the arrangement of the way life is outside a relationship with God. The system that is around us that is against the things that God wants to do and God wants to see us be a part of. Those things that Satan manipulates that are hostile to the things of God. The system that rebels, that Satan leads for a period of time. It is in Christ that you can escape that system. Outside of a relationship with Christ, you are captured inside that system called the world. And you'll never be able to break free. And in fact, left to yourself, you won't even want to break free. Because you will not realize without the Holy Spirit that there is more offered to us in Jesus. But Christians are falling more and more out of love with the world and more and more in love with Jesus Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I want you to see the complete lack of middle ground that is available there. See, here's what happens. This is why we don't progress often in the things of the Lord. It's because somehow we think after we say yes to Jesus, I can still straddle the fence. I can still find middle ground. I can kind of be in love with the world and kind of be in love with God at the same time. John leaves you no room. Neither does Jesus. In Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. There is no middle ground. God calls you to a revolutionary break with your flesh. And when you do that, there is a new vision because you see how worthy the things of God are and how of supreme importance they are. He wants you to have that vision. C.S. Lewis wrote it well. He said this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true, it is of infinite importance. The one thing that it cannot be is moderately important. John says it's not moderately. This is vital fall out in love with the world and in love with God. And then he shows us the way that Satan wants to pull us back. The sources of seduction, if you will, that Satan uses to to trick us, even as followers of Jesus Christ, and pull us back, not away from our salvation, but away from the progress that God calls us to. Verse 16, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful men, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he says and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Those three sources of seduction that are there, right in that verse. The first one is the cravings of sinful man. If you have a King James Bible, it says there, the lust of the flesh. And we might understand that that is an attitude of sensuality run amok. Is that not a weapon in Satan's hands in our society today? I'm not talking about sex per se. I'm talking about the perversion of the gift that God has given. He's placed sex inside a covenant relationship, a secure, safe relationship between a man and a woman, and He's named that relationship marriage, and inside that it is a blessing and it is beautiful. But the system of the world, the cosmos, that's the word He uses for world, breaks down that boundary and all bets are off. And Satan is using that source of seduction. To keep us from progressing. The next one is the lusts of the eyes. The allure of envy. That's what he's talking about there. Wanting everything we see. Seeing what is beautiful and desiring it for ourselves. Even if it belongs to somebody else. That material envy that causes us to think that we're in competition with everybody that's around us. I want to get more than that other guy. Get better than that other guy. i got to get ahead of that other guy. And ahead is defined as having... That latest and the greatest and the biggest and the best. Envy. Envy. is a source of seduction that Satan uses to stop our progress. Third one is boasting of what he has or does. The King James Version calls that the pride of life. An arrogant attitude. Empty and boasting displays of ourselves. Feeling that somehow we are only in when other people are out. We are only ahead when other people are behind. And getting kind of pumped up that we're special. Probably grew up, maybe you had the experience in your schools growing up that there were the mean kids. The kids who kind of banded together and looked down on other people, pushing them down. John is saying Satan continues to use that as a source of seduction. He wants you to be filled with the pride of life. And what happens to all these things, this system of the world that is operating all around us, what is the destination? Look at verse 17. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The system all around us that seems so strong, so powerful, that seems so eternal, it is temporary and it is weak, passing away. I don't know if you've ever taken a tour tour of a movie soundstage. I went down to Universal Studios not too long ago, and we were able to tour the, the places where they filmed the, the various movies, TV shows, the sets that they use, that kind of thing. And when I did that, you know, I, I was shocked to see that places that I recognized from television shows that I watched or movies that seemed like just really big, strong, secure buildings and so forth, all they were were flimsy facades. It's totally fake. There's nothing behind them. And they're out in the L.A. acid rain weather. They're wasting away. God sees the system of the world that same exact way. It is weak and it's wasting away. Don't place your allegiance there. It's not going to last. That's what the world's system is like. And so the question, of course, is always, well, how can I escape this? How can I do better? And the first thing is to say yes to Jesus and His love. To recognize it means repentance of our sin. But what we have then is, is a, a trust in what Jesus has done. So that our behavior may not be perfect right here, right now as we work, as we walk. Maybe, maybe we still make mistakes. We still t- times that we stumble. But God sees us through the righteousness of Jesus. And in His eyes, He sees purity. He sees love. Say yes to that. And second, battle against the sources of seduction. Battle against the things that Satan would use to stop our progress. Just these three, for example. To the man who struggles with the lust of the flesh, you need to see every woman as a potential sister in Christ. And a person that you will spend all eternity with. And that pure view will begin to kill off that source of seduction. To those who are easily seduced by envy, we need to value contentment and stop seeing that the constant consuming and consuming of things is somehow filling a hole in our lives, helping us with our stress or helping us with our worry. We need to recognize that we are already wonderfully blessed and look at everything we have and are with, with thankfulness to God. For those of us who need to overcome the pride of life, we need to reject the view that life is a competition and that I win only when other people lose. We need to see that every person that is brought into the circle of our lives is designed to be there by God for a reason. And He wants us to love them and value them and serve them. Because this brings us to the last test. And the last test is found in verse 9 says this anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble the test there is do i love others and am i an influence for the things of god in another person's life there's nothing in him to make him the other person stumble part of being the real deal in Jesus is in the relationships we have with brothers and sisters recognizing that I'm here to spur you on toward love and good deeds my example my words my choices they should help you say yes to growth in Christ not be an example of what pulls you away influence for God and influence for good not stumbling so what does it boil down to it boils down to the the the, the title of the series It boils down to love truth and love others as we walk with Christ. Let's pray together. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You call us so clearly to be different than we were and in progress for what we will be. Thank You, Lord, as You call us to a different life and a new way of living. And as we say yes, we will make a difference for You. Lord, we want that. We rejoice in that. Help us, we pray for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The team is back for a closing song. Would you stand together as we sing? progress and desire but in order to make progress in this walk of faith there are things we need to lay down need things we need to let go of and maybe you're here today and you know exactly what it is because the holy spirit is telling you just a moment we're going to leave this place and you need to lay something down and turn away to progress further i encourage you to slip forward and pray with the prayer counselors they love to represent you to the throne of grace. You'd give spiritual strength to make the journey. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, you know, I don't know this Savior you're talking about. I've never said yes to forgiveness by faith. They would love to introduce you to the Savior that they know. You slip forward. Meet them there by the organ. But first, let's pray together. Help us, Lord. Help us live for you. Help us identify the battle Help us see the enemy, not as our friend, but as our opponent, and the the one who is against all that you have for us. In the week ahead, enable us to represent you well, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming.